Hello, Illuminated Souls. I'm Brianne Rioni. And I'm Tina Damore. Welcome to Shamans After Dark. Today, we'll be delving into the topic of disembodied spirits. So it's a fun um, one to talk about. Yes. And I think a lot of people might be interested in at least our experiences and our point of view of how to deal with disembodied spirits and how to really see this phenomenon. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about what do we mean when we're saying disembodied spirits? So when Tina and I are talking about disembodied spirits, we are referring to earthbound spirits that were once human that are stuck in this world, the middle world, which is the spiritual aspect of the world we embody, our non-ordinary reality of of our everyday life. Um, In our shamanic experience, when animals, birds, and humans pass on, their spirit goes to another place, dimension, the void, whatever you want to call it. It's, It's not, we no longer are lingering here in the middle world generally. So, it, but it isn't always the same dimension. You know, it's just a place we go where it's filled with love, belonging, and we usually have our ancestors or the spirits of others who have passed on that greet us when we come over and, and we're kind of return home, so to speak. But sometimes we get stuck or others yes. get stuck and we don't make that transition due to a number of different a things. A number of things, <laughs> yes. And so how do they get stuck? Because I, I actually think a lot of people are, might be rather curious about this. Um, not all spirits go to the light. And it and it's from a, a variety of factors. Number one would be fear of the unknown. They don't know what happens after we pass. Maybe they don't have a belief system uh in place in their in their the t- around the time that they die that makes them have faith around something continuing on. Right. And sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes you have really strong religious beliefs. That, um, True. you know, kind of creates some fear maybe about where you're going to go, depending on how you lived your life, right? Like if you had a really religious upbringing that says it might, you might not be going to a great place. You might be reluctant to leave and experience that because you're, there's some fear lingering for you around what you're going to experience or what's going to happen. Right. And, and a lot of like, sometimes religions have these judgment types of dogmas really around, well, I might not be worth going into the light. And so a lot of them just hang around uh, thinking that they've, you know, sinned and they're not, they don't belong in the light and all all kinds of things like that. The feeling of not deserving of a light, not deserving of belonging, not deserving of going home, that can happen. Uh, I've seen it a number of times. Um, There can also be unfinished business. Uh, Something happens traumatically. They want to figure out a way to let other people know about her or somehow want to solve it. Um, they can also want to stay around to say goodbye to loved ones or if they're worried about someone here, they might hang around or sometimes if they pass at the hands of someone else, they may want some retaliation. Yep. <laughs> um, all kinds of things can happen exactly. beyond our thoughts and what we might think. Well, and like also traumatic death. Sometimes you don't actually realize, like if you were in a car accident, it happened unexpectedly, you know, you're kind of stunned and in this space, like soul loss can happen in that traumatic event. And then the spirit's just disoriented. It's kind of like what happened and not really realizing they are no longer embodied. So you kind of just get stuck because you're in this cycle of not really understanding that you're, something's taken place and you're no longer existing as you were. And sometimes they just, you know, like I've said, they don't know that they've passed on. So they're kind of stuck in this dreamlike state and they still see themselves as living and being embodied and going about their day and trying to engage with the world in a way that they used to and not fully understanding why it's not maybe happening in that way. 
And can you imagine how frightening that might be? I mean, they're kind of stuck in this dream state of sort of this repetition and no one's responding to them. They can't find the people in their lives on, on a no, in a normal way. It must be either frightening, frustrating, or or just really disorienting for them, especially after an accident like you described. Yep. Or if something, you know, you die from a violent death, you know, or you just sometimes I think too, sometimes spirits just like, I'm not, I have so much more to do in this life. If especially if it's cut short unexpectedly, you know, there's a reason like I'm I'm not just not wanting to let go of all that potential or all you wanted to do or what you came here to do. So we want to talk about the issues that might come up that we have personally dealt with or that we've learned about in our own training. Some of these disembodied spirits need help, obviously, crossing over. They don't know how to get back home to the light. And some attach themselves to people that they find a sort of a commonality with. I call, in my work, a wound resonance, like uh, feeling unsafe in the world. If someone has this wound around feeling unworthy or a rejection wound or a wound of abandonment, which can be a very large wound, they feel this resonance and will attach to the human. Usually it's not out of harm. It's just sort of sometimes there's like a weird codependent relationship like, oh, I can help them. And then somehow unconsciously the human feels like a little safer, even though it's not really benefiting either. Uh, So that is an issue that can come up. And I've sometimes seen as well, like a spirit might attach because you have habits that are similar to their habits in life and it helps them to kind of feel embodied again. They're kind of feeling mm-hmm. off the energy. Like they might see you're sm- say you're a smoker and that person was a smoker in life. And all of a sudden you notice you're smoking a lot more heavily than you did. And that's the influence of that spirit that's kind of attached itself to you energetically influencing because it's, you know, that habit that's resonating, whether, you know, so it could be that it could be something else where they're just identifying with some of the things that you do or how you present in the world or even your energetic vibration. They're like, oh, this feels familiar. There's something similar about it. And 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 that, oh, geez, I, I really miss smoking. You know, that's something I can't do anymore. So I think I'm going to hitch ride here. Um, and, and again, most of the time it's not malicious. It's really not. It's sort of like this. I think it's subconscious. Like it's just it you're drawn to something that feels familiar and safe. And something that I've seen when working with clients too is, you know, sometimes the spirit of a child might attach to a person who reminds them of a parent, Um, you know, because that child, that spirit's disoriented, it's scared, it's lost. So they, again, are being drawn to that sense of familiarity. Uh, This person kind of feels like a parent to them. I actually had a client um, who's having pain in her knee. And we Mm. did this journey and she had actually recently gone through an old home where this child had passed away due to illness and it attached itself to her because it looked like it reminded her this disembodied spirit was reminded of her mother and she was scared. So she was like, OK, I'm, this is my mom. I'm attaching myself mm-hmm. for a sense of security. But that manifested for my client in a pain in her knee. And, you know, so we were I did the work. My helping spirits helped this, you know, child spirit to return home and cross over and the pain went away. So it's just interesting because it, that when we have. A disembodied spirit that kind of gets entangled up in our energy body, it manifests in different ways for us. Or you might experience like, I don't feel quite right. Or maybe I'm having impulses don't feel like really like mine. Yes. And people will feel a little not centered, even though at first it feels like that having that attachment is serving a purpose. It's really not beneficial. Like you said, like pains or personality changes or 
um, sometimes people even experience thoughts or feelings that don't feel like theirs. Right. They feel intrusive. You know, it's kind of like, oh, this doesn't feel right. And and again, I'm gonna, we're going to stress this a lot. It's not a malicious, like the spirit Mm-mm. is trying to harm you. Like this child wasn't trying to harm my client. Right. She was just drawn to the sense of security. And it's got to be very disorienting to just be stuck here and not really understanding where to go, whether you're being held by fear or something else, or you're just lost, um, or that spirit is just lost, you know, so it, it attached itself. And so this work really needs to be very compassionate when you're dealing with these, these entities or these spirits, these disembodied spirits that just don't know how to get home, so to speak. And it also, they're drawn sometimes to attach themselves because it reminds them of being alive and in a body. And it's a, it's a drain on a person's energy when that being kind of attaches. And so different things like we've discussed kind of show up when that happens. And we don't want this to be scary for people. Um, we're hoping this is interesting and intriguing. Um, the middle world, the aspect of this world that is a non-ordinary reality, the spiritual aspect of this world is essentially safe if you're using safe and appropriate practices. Um, you know, that means if you know how to journey and you're working with a helping spirit you've bonded with over time, you always want to travel with them. So that makes it safer. There are lots of spirits in this world that are benevolent. There are trees, spirits of trees, spirits of birds, like we said before, spirits of animals, all kinds of beautiful beings that want to connect with us and commune with us. And so, uh, but a part of this work too is dealing with spirits that become lost. So, you know, when you're working in the middle world, in this work, journeying, you can either merge with your helping spirits or travel with them, but you you never want to go without. They're like a tour guide um, in, in another place and another maybe even time. And you don't want to travel alone. That Those are your safety. Those are your comrades and allies. So uh, when you're doing this journey work, you know, when I teach this work and I know when you teach this work, Brie, we always say to people to journey with your helping spirits, uh, especially through the middle world. Um, again, it's it's a beautiful, benevolent place, but again, it's a part of this work that can be a little complicated. Yeah. And just it's it's practice, it's wisdom, it's it's you know, making sure if you're gonna do this work that you've trained in it so that you're just just for safety reasons and just keep protecting mm. your energy body. That and when we say safety, it's about protecting your energy body and your energy and just not wanting to unknowingly have something, you know, connect to you. Cause I've Tina and I both, and I think anyone who's an energy worker, whether it's shamanic work, Reiki or whatnot, is if you have a, a colleague or someone you know that does the work and making sure you check in with each other and do healing work for each other. Because sometimes when you're just caught in this work, we can't always be the best healer for ourselves and we may not see that something's going on. So it's really, mm-hmm. I think it's important for our energetic hygiene to just make sure you've got someone you know, if you're able to, to call on, yeah, to call yeah. on and say, hey, I'm feeling a little off or let's just check in and let's just trade a healing. When I hear about people uh, doing work with spirits en masse, uh, when they're dealing with, you know, just one human being going in without helping spirits and, and helping like 50 spirits cross, I get a, from from how I've worked and I, how I've trained and I know you're, you as well, Brie, I get a little nervous about that. Um, yeah, you can only handle so much. And we're going to talk a little bit more about like if you're large mass casualties or doing kind of a large psychopomp work. Um, but one thing we wanted to talk about too a little bit is, you know, if you're doing this practice and you've, you've got a good practice of journeying and we definitely, as Tina said, encourage you to merge and, and that's where you kind of become you and your helping spirit merge your energetic vibrations together, kind of creating 
a third unique vibration that just makes you stronger and less likely to have any energetic gaps, you know, where something because the universe doesn't like a void. <laughs> yeah. And just getting something stuck or energetic intrusion or something else. So it's just merging is a beautiful practice that allows you to kind of just be in a stronger energetic vibration uh, than if you were doing that work on your own. And it's just it's also great. It's helpful practice to to merge whether you're journeying in the middle world or maybe you're doing some healing work for someone and you just really need to power up and just make sure that you're not taking on anything unintentionally when doing that work. And and merging is just doing it even in the you know lower world or the upper world is incredibly healing uh, just in and out of itself. Absolutely. But then when you're like sort of a powerhouse when you merge with your helping spirits in the middle world and, and doing this work. And, you know, some pr- practitioners don't really like this work. So they choose not to do psychopomp work. And some people like you and I really like this work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we definitely I, I really enjoy the psychopomp work that it's very, I find it to be very rewarding work to do. And yeah. some people just aren't called to it. And that's okay. There's no judgment around it. I think we all have areas that we feel really drawn to. And we feel like we excel at and, and do, you know, kind of specialize in and, and I, we have just found over the years of training and, and, what our teachers have shared with us and what we've seen when teaching and sharing this work with others is that, yeah, it either feels good or it's just not resonant for you. And that's all okay. Yeah, that is okay. If it's not something that you're supposed to do, that's okay. You might have some other strengths uh, as a practitioner. So we also want to give some time to talk about land and buildings that may be imprinted with traumatic energy from events occurring in the past, the kind of traumatic energy that comes from violence of any kind, an event that was shocking to the people who were once living there, energies of loss, death, grief, anger, anguish. Just like us, disembodied spirits are attracted to frequencies that feel comfortable to them and familiar. These spirits may have died at the location And like we said before, may not realize they're dead due to the shocking experience, potentially due to soul loss. Um, I know years ago, I joined up with a bunch of shamanic practitioners after the mass shooting at the nightclub Pulse in Orlando, Florida, back in um, 2016. And lots of people, you know, were stuck there after this really huge event. So it's important to do like what we call a group psychopomp. But there was a lot of stuck energy there. Um, and I learned a lot from that. Yeah. I mean, this, this is kind of where we're circling back to and reiterating, you know, don't take on places of mass trauma, whether it's a war zone, a tsunami, an earthquake, or a place where a, tra- a lot of traumatic death has taken place on your own. Like, don't do that psycho, be like, I'm going to go journey, you know, journey and do psychopomp work for these. Definitely work with a group of shamanic practitioners and go together and yeah. yeah, have been trained. You are all knowing what you're doing and going together, uh, to do that work. And if there's like, you know, if anything more than one to two spirits in a place, it's really best to ask other psychopomps for assistance. Um, best practice is definitely to ask for help and work with a group. And there are quite a few, I think there are some different shamanic groups out there that come together and kind of do this work. So when we're working with a group, you know, where we power up, we merge and we, and we start the work. And it's just also important to remember when doing this work, we're really just a vessel. Our helping spirits are doing the work. We are that conduit between our helping spirits and either our client or, you know, these these disembodied spirits that we're trying to do the work and assist in crossing over. You know, and we've mentioned uh, this word a couple of times. We've mentioned the word psychopomp, which is a Greek word from psychopompos, uh, literally meaning the guide of souls. And shamanic practitioners that help these spirits cross over 
again, always with the, the help of the helping spirits, is called psychopomping. And psychopomps are people that have been trained, practitioners that have been trained to, to work in this sort of way. And, you know, as a psychopomp, it's really important to approach this work, like you said, Brie, with empathy for the situation and compassion, no judgment. I mean, there's a lot of suffering in this world um, as far as disembodied beings. Uh, they are just people without the skin. And they haven't crossed over. And so they're lost. We need to have compassion for how shocking it might be for spirit um, that's been traumatized or dis disoriented from otherworldly experiences. And they might be approached by us, the first person to approach them in years. Uh, can you imagine how that might be? So if you are a psychopomp, it might be daunting for these spirits to understand they, they can't stay. It takes a lot of faith and courage to go from a state of fear and to take a risk that one spirit will not be annihilated. And if that belief is that they sent to, you know, they're sent to an, an eternal place of suffering, it takes a lot of trust if, if you have that mindset before you pass away. Um, and another thing, it's it's really not ethical to force spirits to cross. We can't change free will. We can encourage a, uh, a spirit to want to cross over, but sometimes they just aren't ready. So you can come back and kind of try to talk them into it. But um, that's an aspect we just really wanted to talk about. Yeah, it's definitely something I've had some where I've had to go back and just say, we've ta I've talked to the spirit and they're just not ready. And then I, mm -hmm. I'll i say, is it okay if I come back and talk with you again in a couple of weeks or a month, you know, and just keep working until they're ready and just being compassionate and really, you know, reminding them that they're going to be greeted by their ancestors and their loved ones. And it's, they're going to a place of light and love and compassion, you know, so that they can evolve and process their soul's journey in that embodied lifetime that they were experiencing. You know, and it's, it's interesting. I think as children, we are so much more open to the world of spirit and we see so much more before we become these adults that are kind of a little more like Close, Close down because <laughs> the world doesn't, you know, it's you're kind of always like a poo pooed a bit when you're you talk about doing this um, kind of work or what the things that you see. And my son, you know, when he was little, used to just see spirits, disembodied spirits all the time. I mean, it was it was it was, it, it was <laughs> he, he <laughs> didn't know what to make of it. And he used to have this we would wake up at night and saying there was this shadow, this black shadow of a man standing at the foot of his bed and it would just freak him out. And I, because I was too engaged with it because it was my son and, and the ideas that I have around it, I reached out to a friend who was a shamanic practitioner and they came in and, and journeyed and, and it was just a spirit. He didn't pass away here. He just kind of got stuck. He was attracted to my son's energy and his, you know, that he could see him. And so he was just showing up and then she helped move him along and cross him over. And my son no longer experienced anything with that spirit anymore. And again, it wasn't harmful. It was just scary. I wouldn't want to wake up with a shadow of no. someone standing at the foot of my bed either. Right. <laughs> and, you know, because both of us are psychopomps, I know that both of us have had a lot of ex personal experiences with spirits. So uh, when I was initiated into onto the shamanic path, I was living in my grandfather's house, which was built in 1820 on the coast of Maine. And um, even when I was growing up there, uh, you know, it'd come up in the summer and there would be a spirit that I would sense there. I never saw it. And I'm kind of thankful that spirit doesn't show up uh, in, you know, before my waking eyes like that on a normal basis. I, I really, I sense it with my third eye. And I think some people also will understand that. 
you know, this, it just felt very off in this one room that obviously I had to stay in. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, every time I stayed up there, I was always this really strange feeling in this one room. Uh, years later, my cousin went up there uh, to visit. She could see the spirit. She described it. Now, because I never saw it, I just sensed it. I sent the, sensed the emotions and the offness. And it was very cold in there. She described the spirit. And I know my sister-in-law also slept in that room years later and had a, a, like a waking experience with oh, the wow. spirit. Now, I again, I'm so thankful. I don't normally have that experience. But during my, I think my second year in apprenticing, learning about death and dying, uh, we had about 10 shamanic practitioners kind of ghost bust that house. And there were a whole bunch of spirits in there that had passed away uh, over the years, um, but they were, you know, kept by this one spirit. It it was not um, a benevolent spirit. Let's just put it that way. But it was a disembodied spirit. It was it was once human, uh, but we had kind of lost his way. So, as complicated as this work can get, it's always to me, since I was a child, intrigued me. And I think that sort of that psychopomp fingerprint that you know you and I have and other people might have. I actually do love this work. It's not built for everyone. It's not meant for everyone, but I know you love it as well, yep. Brie. Um, the one thing I love about it, I will say, is when a spirit actually does surrender, concedes to go to the other side, the release of suffering and, and the rejoining and the reunion with ancestors or any other spirits that are benevolent, when they're welcomed back, it is such a beautiful experience to be witness to. And so when I see that, I I almost cry every single time. I, I will get tears in my eyes and I'm just so grateful that there's less suffering. Absolutely. And I mean, it's, so, it's such deep work. It is. It is. Uh, when you see that relief on their face and they're like, oh my gosh, and I worked through this fear and now I'm back home and oh. This is wonderful. That's enough for me. Like, I'm yeah. in. <laughs> no, absolutely. I remember when I was uh, learning this work and we were doing, you know, the death and dying work. We had, as a group, journeyed to a uh, place that had been a war zone and were, as a, you know, a group doing this psychopomp work. And I remember um, the spirit that I had helped, this disembodied spirit that I helped move over, um, who was looking for his daughter in that, you know, just looking, looking, looking. And that's why he was, was still here. And just seeing the relief and the release when he returned to his ancestors and, you know, just that wholeness that came back and instead of being stuck in that constant fear was really amazing. And it's, you know, when you're in the work because you're powered up and you're helping spirits, it's not as impactful. When you came out, I was just a crying mess after because you then you can really process it when you're sitting with this work that you've done. And it's just it's really nice to be able to be of service to those that are stuck here and want to cross over and not realize. So it's it's beautiful work if you're called to it. Definitely, I really enjoy it. And it's one of the pieces that I was most fascinated when we were training mm -hmm. and, and learning about all of this that I just felt really yeah. called to doing. Yeah. So what wisdom do our helping spirits have to share regarding earthbound spirits, Brie? My helping spirit said, since the time humans came into existence on this earth, there have been instances of spirits getting stuck between planes for various reasons. In your early existence, there were less of you and you had those within your communities that were in harmony with spirit and the rhythm of Mother Nature, who were able to help care for and shepherd those lost and misguided spirits back home to all that is in the arms of their ancestors. This helped to maintain a healthy balance between the embodied and disembodied spirits. 
As humanity has evolved and grown, you have lost many of the old ways and the wisdom keepers who held the knowledge of how to guide those lost and stuck spirits home. Our great mother earth has seen a great number of wars, plagues, and natural disasters, increasing the number of those that get caught between the worlds for one reason or another. We are all one. We are all connected. Those stuck in fear and suffering between planes can have an impact on those inhabiting the earth now in many unexpected and challenging ways. It can feed into the collective suffering that is taking place in the world today. Those who carry forward the work as a shepherd of souls help to keep the balance between the embodied and disembodied. It is not work for the faint-hearted. It takes knowledge of the work, compassion, and a deep understanding of the suffering those disembodied spirits may be experiencing to truly be able to step into the role. One must remember that just because a spirit is no longer embodied and is stuck does not mean they are wise or well. They are often as they were in life and have not had the chance to evolve and learn from their life lesson when they have been stuck between planes. It is only when the soul returns home that is able to grow and evolve from the experiences gained in an embodied life. Mm. You know, I. it's interesting how our helping spirits have very similar messages, even though we did this piece separately. Thank you, Brie. So my helping spirits said, in the millions of years of the existence of your planet, your human kin has been born and has died. Most pass on in their ancestralized homelands, but others do not find their way. Whether this is from ties to the earthly realm or not, realizing the spirit has separated from the body or simply having resistance to being deserving of the experience of oneness, the spirit's that have not found their way are adding to the collective suffering that humans feel in their world. For those who are drawn to help spirits cross over, it is vital to come to this work with a compassionate heart, with learned skills that can powerfully communicate with those who are disembodied so that they can find the peace that they deserve. The veil is thin at this time, and the suffering of those who are embodied are reflective of the suffering of the disembodied. It is with this understanding that one cannot question how interconnected we all are. It is so interesting how they kind of echo each other. Because I remember when I first sat down totally. to do this journey, my spirits were like, nope, not right now. Like, <laughs> And when I did it again, they practically gave me a novel. I was like, okay. <laughs> a novel. <laughs> a lot. Normally, they're pretty short and sweet to the point. But <laughs> it, isn't that interesting? Because I even have students, I'll be like, they, I journeyed and I couldn't, I didn't get much. I'm like, well, journey again on it. They don't, they kind of have, give me a blank look like, yeah, I don't get it. You gotta go that back. To me too. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us at www.shamansafterdark.com. We hope you'll drop us a line. We don't have a journey prompt for today because middle world work can be uh, for someone a little more advanced and really comfortable in their skills. So, um, but you can find Bree on treehearthealing.com and myself on threecrowshealing.com with a numeral three. There's also links to our personal pages on shamansafterdark.com. So until next time, everyone, keep on shining your light. <laughs>